Welcome to We Go There. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... But hey, we go there. Because there's no such thing as having too much information when it comes to your health and wellness. We dive deep into topics, interview experts, and get answers you need. Because knowledge is power. And feeling empowered is what we're all about. So let's go there. Oh my goodness. So excited to welcome Dr. Heather Millar here today. Welcome, Heather. Oh my gosh. We have so much to talk about today. You are an OB-GYN and you currently work in Toronto at Women's College, Mount Sinai and SickKids, and you have a special interest in trauma-informed care. So we have, I mean, where does one even start? Seriously, this is such an important topic and I'm truly grateful for all of the work that you're doing to improve the health of, of women everywhere. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I've followed you on Instagram for a while and and connected that way and really excited to be here and talk about this. Absolutely. And our kids go to the same gymnastics. So we've had many, many conversations <laughs> waiting for our children to come out of gymnastics class. So both on the record and off the record. And so thank you for agreeing to do this podcast um, with us today. Um, I would love to know, so oh my gosh, so much to talk about, but why don't you tell us a little bit about where your interest came in terms of trauma-informed care? And then the second point to that question would be, what is trauma-informed care? Yeah. So good question. So um, I, for a very long time, you know, prior to medical school and medical training, I was really interested in vulnerable populations and especially vulnerable populations of women. And that was one of the main drivers for me in terms of going into medicine was wanting to care for women and wanting to improve health for especially women um, of lower income or who are marginalized for whatever reason. And so a lot of the experiences that I had along the way were related to those groups of women and um, working in a bit in global health and uh, some international work and local work. And so I did my residency training in Toronto, which is a five-year training program. And then after that, I did additional training related to global health and equity and adolescent gynecology. And I was working, I was doing a placement in Northern Ontario with an obstetrician who does a lot of work with Indigenous women and women with addiction. And there are huge rates of trauma in, in that group of women. And I'll talk a little bit more about trauma in general. But um, that obstetrician was doing a speculum exam and she just used a slightly different language. And before placing the speculum, she said, is it okay if I place the speculum now? And it led to us having this conversation where we started talking about this concept of trauma-informed care. And I thought, well, how come I haven't really learned about this yet? <laughs> and how come this is not central to our whole training in obstetrics and gynecology? And so I started to learn about it. And then I ended up doing some research in my adolescent gynecology fellowship about it. And that had to do with pregnant adolescents who also have really high rates of trauma and trying to better understand how to take care of them in a way that was empowering and um, trauma informed. <laughs> and so um, and then it kind of spiraled from there. Um, I'll maybe talk about what trauma-informed care is first. Yeah, please. Um, and then maybe a bit more about everything that's happening with it, which is really exciting. Um, so the idea of trauma-informed care kind of grew out of mental health and substance use programs in the U.S., but all over the world in different ways, where people realized that individuals with substance use disorders have pretty high rates of traumatic experiences. And then, and there's been a lot, some really interesting studies that kind of came out saying, wow, trauma is really common. And um, trauma, um, especially in childhood, and that can be things like abuse and neglect, um, that that has a really big impact on our adult health in many different ways that people didn't necessarily know right away, uh, or, or it wasn't maybe intuitive. And 
then this the idea of trauma-informed care is that we really should assume that everybody has a trauma history and we should then use specific approaches to try to not re-traumatize people, to engage them. And then one of the most important pieces of it is to provide people with choice and control because that's something that a lot of people who have trauma histories have lost at various points, um, either repetitively or in a single traumatic incident. And so that's kind of the general concept of it. And there's lots of ways that we can try to do that better <laughs> in every, yeah. in every area, but particularly, you know, in what we're talking about today in, in obstetrics and gynecology. Yeah. Big time, big time. I know when we were speaking before, you mentioned you've done work in Africa also. Yeah, yeah. So the the fellowship training that I did in global health and equity is a two-year training program where one of the years is in um, Kenya um, as part of a collaboration that the University of Toronto Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology has with a department in Kenya. Mm -hmm. So I had started to go there as a medical student and then have been able to continue that relationship and continue to do that work there. And, and I think, it, I mean, we know that trauma is everywhere and in every population. And so there are, there's unfortunately, I don't know, like horrible cases of trauma everywhere. Yeah. So it's very important. So I guess this is where, so I'll share, this is a bit of a story. This actually was very timely. It happened yesterday. I got a message on Instagram from an OB, a young female OB in Italy. And she said to me, she said, thank you for your work. And I had done a, a, like a meme around tailbone pain after women have been forced to birth on their back and how it's so common mm -hmm. and cited evidence around sacrum freeing positions and mobility and all this kind of stuff. It's like a broken record, as you know, on my Instagram account, but it was around, we should have the ability to have autonomy and choose, and even in emergent situations, be able to have some moment of consent and she said, thank you for sharing. Your work has convinced me that women should have choice, but it's difficult when I'm speaking with my older, often male superiors and convincing them that this is important. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. And I thought I would bring this up to you to ask if you have noticed that this is considered, and I'm using air quotes here, like a soft skill. Like, yeah. is there a buy-in with your colleagues? And I'm going to guess that like, yes and no, <laughs> but you talk. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good yes and no. Um, I've actually been, um, so one of the things that I think just one step back from that, that got me really excited about trauma-informed care is that to me, it feels like it is more practical and can be made into more practical skills that people need to learn as opposed to saying, you need to be a better communicator, listen yeah. better, which is true. But um, sometimes if you can make something really practical mm -hmm. and have practical steps that become routine, then it's not a soft skill. And so um, <clears throat> when, and just to talk about maybe an example of that is if we say, okay, well, people, we need to keep people covered and only remove drapes when we're doing an exam and try to keep knees covered and, and then bring the drapes down before we continue our conversation. If we can then say that is part of the checklist of how you learn to do a vaginal exam as a trainee or how you learn to do a speculum exam, then it no longer becomes, oh, you should just make sure you're draping and like, it, it becomes, here's a checklist that we're going to watch and test people on. Mm -hmm. So to, like as a really specific example, but you can do that with communication skills. So when you're talking about how to do an exam, how do you talk about it? And do you ask permission? And so when we're teaching, for example, like when learners or when anybody is learning a skill, there are multiple points in their training where they're being evaluated on that. Mm. and having to pass different exams or different practice interactions. And so if we give people marks for that, um, and it's just the standard of how you do any part 
of this skill, then it becomes not a soft skill. So that's kind of one part to that. And then also I in I've started to be, I think as as mentioned, since I've so what sort of happened since my fellowship is I've started to do talks more about this. And then if I do one talk, then someone else hears it and, and we do it again. And I've been amazed at how excited people are to learn about it. And as an example, so we do um, in medicine, pretty much every division of medicine once a week will have what are called rounds. And they're sort of these teaching um, sessions once a week where you attend a presentation about a medical topic and you learn new evidence and you kind of get your skills updated. And, and so I was asked by um, the Department of Obstetrics at Mount Sinai to talk about trauma-informed care as the kind of like inaugural grand rounds of, of September, 2023. And it was, it ended up being shared to um, most of the hospitals in the GTA and we had a really large attendance of obstetricians and gynecologists, including many of them who are older and and or retired. And the discussion after was so enthusiastic. There was so much excitement. Um, and that and some of the people who were making the most comments were some of the older male obstetricians, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. So there's a book called um, Run to the Danger by Sarah Pauly. Okay. Um, and so Sarah Pauly, if just if anybody doesn't know her, she's a Canadian oh. uh, filmmaker. And uh, she wrote this book that's a collection of essays. And one of them is about her labor and delivery experience, um, which was at Mount Sinai. And she writes about one of the senior male obstetricians and how this conversation with him where even though it's not called trauma-informed care, what he was doing was being trauma-informed. And he said, uh, she was talking about how having an exam was so hard for her. And he said, that's okay. Like You don't need to apologize for this. And we can work together to figure out how to do this exam. And, mm-hmm. and it's not wrong that you would feel that an exam was hard for you Mm -hmm. and so and he was one of the people on the rounds and he was he was really excited and so I think yeah like I feel actually quite hopeful and then right after those rounds our department had wanted to have a meeting ASAP to figure out like how can we implement this better so I think it's a movement that is really growing and that people are excited about. That's That's in my, and then obviously that, you know, it's never going to be everyone, but Mm -hmm. um, it feels, it feels like there's a lot of motivation right now. Oh, that's fantastic. And I mean, are the nurses on board with this as well? Are they getting the same training? Yeah. So they, yeah. So they've been, um, so same, same idea. So some of the talks that I've been doing have been with nurses as well. Okay. Um, And, and then the, I have so many ideas of what we can do, but <laughs> tell us, tell us. We're listening. But, well, just, I mean, but like on labor and delivery, we're a hundred percent a team. And so we all have to be thinking about this mm-hmm. and it has to be, it has to be practical. It has to move from beyond like, let's do this. Let's say this is important to then, well, what does that actually mean? What policies do we have to change? What do we do in the operating room? how do we, you know, like we have to do, there's a couple different ways you can do it, but like a walkthrough of your place of work. And you think about every single step of a patient's journey or a person's journey through that area. Mm-hmm. And what are the points along the way that could be triggering or traumatizing and how do we change each point? So yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff that we can do. It's got to be hard. And I, this is a moment of empathy for the the healthcare workers because it's every day. It's routine. It's like a Tuesday. Yeah. And for that yeah. person, it's the biggest moment of their life. And that's yeah. such a, that's such a contrast. So it's got to yeah. feel like, I mean, I love that you mentioned the training because it sounds like that was not part of your training, like at all. And I mean, to be fair, some of the principles of trauma-informed care I learned along the way before it was really called that, mm-hmm. but there was nothing that was called that, mm-hmm. you know, that was, and there were certain things that weren't part of the training that I'm now yeah. trying to teach and do and 
learn myself. Gosh, I just hope that your this work spreads everywhere, truly everywhere. Because I think story, it will. I'm really hopeful. <laughs> oh, the stories, as you can imagine, that I hear regularly yeah. from women everywhere. I mean, they're not. Some yeah. of them are excellent, but you know, there's such a there's such a contrast, um, yeah. and it is challenging because there are incredible obese like yourself who are doing such important work, and then you hear stories of women just feeling completely yeah. not listened to. And it's, it's, what do you see like big picture for a second, you know, and I obviously know you can really start local, which is what you're doing, but like, what would it take to spread this type of work throughout, we'll say North America? Yeah. Well, I think it's for sure doable. So, um, so some of the things we're doing right now or that I'm working on, um, so the in Canada, our national organization is the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Canada. Mm-hmm. And that's our national organization that puts out guidelines. Um, there's also the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons, and they're responsible for um, the training exams for competency. Um, you know, what do you need to accomplish to graduate? And so... And there's a lot of interest in both of those organizations to in in trauma-informed care. So um, currently, I'm working with one of our trainees and some colleagues to try to develop a simulation training. And for now, I think we're going to do it around IUD insertion. But there's there's tons of scenarios you can do Mm -hmm. where we'll do a specific a specific skill, but embed trauma-informed care throughout an entire encounter. And so then when you do this, you practice this skill, you don't, you get marked on Mm -hmm. all the different parts of the skill and the bits of trauma-informed care are throughout that. So you learn it as integral to a skill that you have, that you do. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then we have a national simulation committee as well. Where So people are doing simulation trainings all across the country in medicine for all kinds of different things. And so in my mind, the goal should be that every simulation training, no matter what the topic in medicine, Mm -hmm. is trauma-informed. And and I think there's a lot of excitement to do that. So I'm mainly right now within, obviously, obstetrics and gynecology and the simulation team within obstetrics and gynecology. Mm -hmm. But we've been having conversations and there's some upcoming meetings about how can we then do simulation training across the country for all trainees. And then the other piece is if we can get it into our Royal College skills and then our final, so at the end of residency, all trainees write an exam. Um, There's an oral and a written exam, which is pretty um, intensive. And if you incorporate trauma-informed care into every scenario, Mm-hmm. then people have to learn it and not in a mean way. It just becomes, that's how I do this. Sure. And then that's how you start to then spread it so that it's not, you know, a little standalone. Mm-hmm. You should all be trauma informed and here's right. why. It's every single thing that we do. It's an integral part of it. So I have a lot of hope. I think there's a lot of excitement and motivation to do it. And I think when we make it practical, Mm-hmm. And then it, then people are are happy to do it. So, yeah, and you build more and trust, lots of right? Times where I've you know I've like talked about it or taught colleagues or trainees, and I've had people reach out to me later and say, "Oh, I tried this in this scenario, and I had this amazing experience. Let me tell you about it." And that's pretty exciting. Can you give us an example? Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so in. So when I was mentioning those larger rounds that I had done in September, right after them, one of our high-risk doctors had sent me a message and said, I have to tell you about this. My, our whole team was, this was on the high-risk floor. So the nurses as well, we were all watching these rounds. We were so excited. We got so many ideas. And right after my fellow was going to see this patient and had to do this vaginal exam and said, I'm going to try some of this out right now. And she went and said, before she did any exam, she said, and we talk about like, how do you ask people about trauma? What do you say? And, and so she went in and had said, you know, for some people, this exam can be really hard because they've maybe had difficult or traumatic experiences in the past. Is that something that applies to you? 
And this patient revealed that she had had a history of sexual assault and that actually it is really hard for her to have these exams. And so then they kind of walked through it together. How could they do this exam so that it would not be traumatic for her? And this fellow came out and was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Like, <laughs> this was such a, you know, wonderful encounter. This works. Um, things like that. And then another colleague who, because um, obviously, so most of us, not everyone, but a lot of us do obstetrics and gynecology. And she was seeing a patient who needed a specific gynecology exam and got very, just sort of, she could, my colleague could sort of tell that this, this woman was distressed about something or something seemed off. And so she kind of got her to sit up and, and she moved to the side and said, like, it seems like, you know, this is really hard for you. And I think she said something like for similar types of language, like for some people, this can be extra hard because of experiences they've had in the past. Is this, is there anything you wanted to tell me about? And this person also revealed this longstanding, this childhood history of trauma and that she had never been able to have an exam with a gynecologist. And so they made a decision together and they actually did the procedure in the operating room with some sedation. And so, and she sort of said this colleague, like that, that is going to stick with me for the, the rest of my career. And so there's, and there's lots of examples of that. And, and I think the providers also feel really, um, sorry, word like feel validated and not validated. The providers sort of feel like proud of themselves. And also like most, I mean, the majority of us do this because we really care about people and we want to make people's lives better and we want to take care of them. And so that's also really rewarding when you feel like you can take care of someone yeah, um, in a way that's in a way that's trauma informed and empowering for them. And to build that, that rapport and that relationship and that trust. Cause yeah, it's, it's like, a lot of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the other thing you mentioned also was that, you know, everyone's so busy and this is your day to day. And how do you build this in when we have so much going on? And, and that's true for sure. Um, but a lot of it is very small changes and it's just about changing the, um, like our routines. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I do a, a vaginal or a speculum exam now, what I, what I previously said was, something along the lines of like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be inserting the speculum now. And now I say, is it okay if I insert the speculum, which takes no extra time. Mm -hmm. And it's just about what is, what comes naturally to you in terms of how you speak and how you do various procedures or. mm -hmm. Well, because the person there and I, and someone who has had many also IVF, many, many vaginal exams over the years, um, it's also a feeling of, you don't have a choice. I'm doing this to yeah. you yeah. versus, yeah. you know, you know, is it okay? And, and, and it's going to be 99% of the time. Yes. But you had this feeling of you have choice and you don't yeah. feel like you're just somebody on the table with things being done yeah. to you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, um, that was, I, another time I was teaching some students and then it was, it was kind of like very nice for me because right after I was with one of these students on the labor floor or actually in triage and we went, I went to do an exam for a patient and I said, is it okay if I do mm-hmm. the exam? And she said, yes. Wow. That's the first time anybody has yes. ever asked my permission to do this. And it was right with that trainee. And I was like, yes, <laughs> what we were talking about. it was kind of funny. It was almost like I had set her up, um, but it it's powerful. But it's it's mm-hmm. powerful. Like I have shivers are on my body right now, just listening to this because I know <laughs> like it, it makes me almost a bit emotional because it's so powerful and it's not any extra time or energy. It's just, it's yeah. a shift of treating the patient like a human being who has their own crap and their own history and their own experience. And you're just being aware that like you might be doing, you know, 15 vaginal exams that day and it's like a Tuesday, but for them, it's a very big moment. It can yeah. be. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. I have to ask you, (laughs) I have to ask you about the training on, um, that OBs get around 
delivering babies, catching babies in different positions. Like we have to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't get a lot of training in that. Um, and I think that's something that we need to think about and also talk about more. Um, I think a lot of it, or at least parts of it are, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's related to training. So a lot of times when we're doing a delivery, one of the things that we're most sort of thinking about, I think, is protecting the perineum and trying to avoid tearing. And sometimes being concerned in, in certain positions, can I still do that? Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that we probably need or that we need more training on, or we need to think more about. Um, and then also just, uh, what's the right word? Figuring out also with epidurals, how to allow people to be more mobile, what that means, how do you do it? And, and there is quite a bit of variability. I've, I've also worked at a few dif- different centers, um, in terms of how much people can move with an mm-hmm. epidural. Um, where some people, their legs are like, I don't know, like jello and they can't move them at all. Mm -hmm. And then other people that have a lot of mobility and still really good pain control. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I have like a longer answer to that, but just that it's not something that we get a lot of training on. No, but, and part of that is because we are doing like our training is with the, like the, the providers who are older and if they weren't trained, like as a junior trainee, mm-hmm, you're mm-hmm. not getting that training because you're not with someone else who was trained that way. So mm. I think, I think it's something that we need to learn more about. Um, so, so like, mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. I had a midwife, I will be for my first. Yeah. Sunbrook. No, yeah. after all, you have to be on your back now. And I was like, I can't, I can't, it's too painful. And they're like, yeah. nope, you got to be on your back for the doctor, like literally. And I I went with a midwife with my second and, and I let my OB was amazing, but it was that moment where I did not have choice and it's fueled obviously a fire in what I do online because I hear this story so often hemorrhoids, the whole thing. But I, I think when you said like the whole part to that, that is not trauma informed is you have to be on your back. Yes. You need to do this for the OB. Yes. Like, just that is not like, let's say that, and I'm not saying this is right or right or wrong, but let's say that that OB felt that she was worried that if you weren't on your back, you'd have a really bad tear and that would be bad for you. Let's just say she was worried about that. If she came in the room and you guys talked together about that and said, she said, well, I'm a bit worried because I don't do very many deliveries on my back on your back. And I'm worried that you might have a tear and I really want to protect that you know, then you could say, okay, well, I understand that, but I really want to be, I really want to try this position and I'm okay if that happens and let's Mm -hmm. work together and we'll just sort of, you know, and then you work together to figure out how, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how you can provide the safest care that's, you know, that's still empowering and, and where you feel like you have choice and you feel like you have control and you had this conversation and it's not, you have to do this because. Oh yeah. And that was the nurse actually that said that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it has to be. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be the whole team and nurses are, as, as you know, nurses are in the room for more time than the OB is in the room. And so if you have, if you had an OB who was trauma informed, but your nurse wasn't. Yes your whole experience would not be trauma-informed because we're all a team doing it together. So, This episode of the We Go There podcast is brought to you by The Bell Method, a fitness company that blends Pilates with pelvic health, creating choreography from science. You might feel overwhelmed at all the abs after baby programs promising to make you bounce back after birth. Or maybe you're feeling unsure of how to exercise in pregnancy and prepare your body for delivery. It can be tough to navigate what information is credible and evidence-based. 
Women deserve better. I created all of our programs with the guidance of pelvic health physiotherapists, and we continue to evolve our programming to stay current with the latest research. At The Bell Method, we ditch guilt and bring balance to our bodies with programs designed to fit your life stage. We'll help you reduce incontinence, diastasis recti, and prolapse, so you feel strong, confident, and empowered throughout pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. I invite you to enjoy 10% off your first class session with the code WE go there 10. Visit www.thebellmethod.com for more. I mean, there's a lot of things on the to-do list here. Where does one start? (laughs) So, you know, the trauma-informed piece I think is so incredible. And, you know, I can imagine this is like, this is like your life's work. I mean, there's really no end to it. It just keeps going, right? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I think so. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people in like a lot of other OBs who are interested, um, of, and so, and doing work in their own centers. Um, and so I think there will be, there's a lot of room to work together and collaborate and try to, try to continue to do this work and really expand it. What would you say, like, what would you say to anyone listening to this who is pregnant? Because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening um, who's trying to find a trauma-informed practitioner. What are some questions to ask? Yeah. So I think, um, like, in the long run, what would be super cool is to... So one one thing that the SOGC is working on is trying to develop a... Um, uh, some continuing medical medical education training in trauma-informed care. And I'm working on a national guideline for trauma-informed care right now. And so that will then be incorporated into some uh, medical education that providers can do across the country. It would be cool if at some point that meant you could then put up some kind of official certification in your office um, to then be able to say, you know, I'm officially certified in this, or at least over time, I would imagine if, you know, how there's a pride flag that some people will have in their offices or Mm -hmm. um, the uh, transgender flag. And so if we can eventually start to have some, you know, some little signage that people can post to say, I'm, you know, I have trauma-informed care training or I'm interested in this. Um, But I think in the shorter term is maybe... Because, as you said, not everybody has maybe specific training in it or maybe knows 100% if they are trauma-informed or not, is to think about um, what does it mean for someone to be trauma-informed to you and to try to, you know, I think on your, in a first visit, to ask some questions about what you need and see what kinds of answers you get. And by what you need, I don't necessarily, and by what you need, I think it's important to try to be a bit vulnerable and explain why you're worried about something or why you think you need something. So sometimes as an example, people are working on a birth plan and they have a lot of things in their birth plan that are really specific. And there may be something in there and the reason you have it in there is because you've had a traumatic experience with something or you're really scared about one part of this experience and you may not say that in your birth plan mm. or it may just on the paper say, I don't want an episiotomy, period. But maybe the reason you don't want an episiotomy is because the idea of someone cutting you is really scary And that's okay. And so to try to be a little bit vulnerable and say, I'm really worried about vaginal exams. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm, I've, you don't even have to say the whole details of why you could say, you know, I've had some experiences that make me really scared for that, because I think it'll be really traumatic for me. Could we talk about that? Mm -hmm. And, and see how the provider responds. And I think that also makes it, you're not just saying, I don't want vaginal exams. Mm -hmm. You're saying, I'm scared about this. And I want you to help me to figure that out. And then you're kind of trying to build this deeper relationship of trust and see how that provider responds. 
And if yes. they don't respond, if they don't respond in a way that's, you know, <laughs> if they, you know, if they're not willing to talk to you about it yeah. or to make the space for that, then that's probably not someone who's trauma informed right now. Maybe we could, maybe we could change them, but, <laughs> and then also maybe um, you can always, you know, call the doctor's office beforehand and say, um, you know, to the secretary, I've, you know, I'm, I've been really worried about my upcoming delivery. When I come in next, um, could you let the doctor know that I really wanted to talk about this? I mean, you can say that in your appointment too, but just, you know, as you said, sometimes in a super quick appointment and you yourself, if it's something that you're kind of nervous to talk about, it can be kind of hard to say like, I'm really scared about this Sure. <laughs> to kind of get up. Yeah. So I think it's sort of thinking about what does it mean to me if this person is trauma informed and how can I share what I need in a, in a way that will allow us to have those deeper conversations. That is incredible advice. I have to say, because just the whole idea of a birth plan feeling like a checklist or yeah. like a list of demands doesn't often land well, does it? No. It, and and one of the things that will sometimes happen is, I mean, I, I don't know if this is, I think it's getting better because we're also encouraging people to do birth plans. But the whole goal of a birth plan shouldn't be that I have this checklist of things that have to happen this way. Mm-hmm. It should be, let's think through, are there any areas that I'm worried about and that I need to have a conversation about? And you know, I really am hoping not to have a C-section or oxytocin or an epidural. And I'm really scared about that. And unfortunately, sometimes we, we at least recommend not doing everything the way the birth plan says. Mm -hmm. But that's why we need to talk about it beforehand and figure out like, why is, you know, what are the different parts on this plan that are important to you? And why is that important? And what if it turns out that there is an emergency and we have to do a C-section? Can we talk about that now? Like, what are, how will we help you through that? How will we, if we did have to do a C-section, what are things that we could do to help you with that experience, to help make it not traumatic, to, you know, still make you feel that you had an empowered birth? You know, how can we do that? So I think that's, we need to have those conversations and and try to get a little bit deeper. Now, one question I'm often asked by students, because maybe you're, and I'm sure you're going to have a line up out the door. I want Dr. Heather Millar at Sinai after this episode, <laughs> but I don't know how many babies you're delivering these days, but, yeah. um, but um, you know, a lot of people will say, I have this amazing provider. So maybe you're their obstetrician and you've had all these incredible conversations, but they don't know who's going to be on call that day, right? And you're nodding your head, yes. So how do we buffer for that? Yeah, so um, the, what my dream would be, would be that we're all trauma-informed and we're all doing this. And so even when you come in, the whole you know, labor floor is going to respect those things. Um but I think, but obviously that's like a longer term solution um, at some, in some places anyway. So I think again, trying to say at the beginning, I'm just trying to imagine like, so the normal course is you often, you come in either in labor, or your water's broken and you go to triage and you meet a nurse in triage who checks you in and then calls someone to see you. And that's either a resident or a staff. Um, and so I think even in those encounters to try from the very beginning to, and, and it's hard because it, again, it should be on us to ask the questions, but if you're trying to advocate for yourself to try to be vulnerable and even then say, you know, I'm, I'm really nervous about exams and this is why, um, right from the beginning and say, or say, you know, I have a birth plan. Um, the parts that, you know, and or to say, I have a birth plan. I understand it may not go exactly according to plan, but the parts that I'm really nervous about are mm. this and this. 
And so can we talk about that? So even, you know, with the nurse in triage or the nurse, when you get into a room or Mm -hmm. um, to, to be honest and vulnerable about what is scary and what parts are important to you and why? Would you say to have, so two questions, would you say for the, the person in labor to actually print out their birth plan and have it with them? Or is that, yeah, is that so helpful? I think that's what, um, I think that's most, that's what we do now. I wonder, and again, I'm kind of coming up with ideas as we talk. But <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we need to sort of rethink how we write birth plans. Like, yeah. We have kind of our, we could still have some of the checklist ideas, like I'm hoping to have this or not have that, Mm -hmm. but maybe even almost like a little paragraph at the beginning where you write in your birth plan, you know, here's what I'm hoping for. Here's what I'm nervous about. Um, Here's, you know, if you could do X, Y, or Z, that would be really helpful for me, that kind of idea. So that it's almost like a conversation document. Got like it. you, you, and the way I use birth plans is that um, I do like if we see if there is one in the chart, I read it and I and I stand with the patient and I say, you know, I'm I'm reading through your birth plan. You know, most of this looks like what we would usually try to do. I'll sort of specifically address that. You know, we don't do episiotomies routinely. We won't do a vacuum or a forceps unless there's a reason. And here's why there would be a reason. And so I'll kind of talk through parts of it. And then I'll say, is there anything that you're specifically worried about um, that you wanted to talk about? So I do use it that way. Um, I don't think everybody does that. (laughs) They don't. (laughs) I can tell you they don't. I wonder if, yeah, but I wonder if we sort of rethought Mm. how do we write a birth plan? So let's make a birth plan template. We should make one and um, I'll send it to my students, but we can make it a free thing too. Like let's have it something that people can just download. Yeah. Right. And and spread it around the hot, like, cause that's how we shift it. Because did you side note, I'm getting conversational here, but there was, this was, I think two summers ago, it was a hospital in New York and there was like a leaked letter. Did you hear about this? from the OBs basically saying like, we don't care about your birth plan. Like yes, yes, take yes, your birth yes. plan and shove it up your ass. Like that's yes. pretty much the general gist of it. Yes. And it was like, and I mean, it was bad, bad PR. Yes. I do remember that. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. But I yeah. understood as much as it was like terrible and like, but I understood probably the frustration of those OBs where they feel like it's like a, they're like wedding planning. Like I want this, I want that, I want that. Like it was a checklist and not yeah. a list of demands and not a conversation. And so I, I love that you mentioned like, how could we possibly change the dynamic of a birth plan to really have like that paragraph piece, like a cover letter. Here's what I'm nervous about. Here's what I'd really like. This is why these are some of my wishes. Yeah. And then the thing, um, and I, I, a little bit back to the trauma-informed care piece, um, what does sometimes happen with birth plans is that someone comes in, they have a birth plan and they're very, um, they come across as very demanding (laughs) and oppositional and like you go in the room and they, or a trainee goes in the room and they say, I don't want to see you. And they're kind of rude, like not everybody, but I just mean like sometimes with a birth plan, but, but with trauma informed care, one of the things it's actually taught me. And one of the reasons that it's actually really helpful for providers is most of the time, if someone is like that, it's actually because they probably do have some kind of underlying trauma or something that they're really scared about. And they don't know how to say that. And so it comes across as this, you know, very demanding stick to every single thing on my plan Mm -hmm. when it's actually a sign of something deeper. And there's, there's some growing evidence that if you use trauma informed care, it actually decreases burnout for providers and helps you with Mm -hmm. people who are more oppositional like that, because some of them are the ones that, you know, that you can say, I mean, you may, you don't always necessarily say it exactly like this, but not like what's wrong with you, but like, <laughs> what ha- like what happened, like yeah. what happened to you or like what's going on that's making yeah this 
this thing's so important or making you feel, you know, upset about this part. It's the leading with the curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. And not, but that's hard. Like when you're tired and you've had a long shift, like that's not easy. Like acknowledging that. Yeah, it is. It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. But then if you do that, it actually is, it makes things easier. And it, a lot of the time releases some of that tension that's there. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. And then it's also for providers, like, especially in, well, in medicine in general, but obviously I'm, I'm an obstetrician gynecologist, but there can be really traumatic experiences. And most of the time labor and delivery is amazing and beautiful and Mm -hmm. like the most wonderful, miraculous (laughs) event. But then sometimes there's horrible things that happen and it's, you know, and it's, and it's sad and people cry and they go home and can't sleep. And, you know, and so trauma-informed care also means, you know, being aware that we, we all have these experiences that can be traumatic for us and how do we support each other mm-hmm. and supporting, yeah, like supporting all of us as human beings to try to have choice and support and be empowered um, yeah. Lexi here. Okay. So let's shift to another under the radar, not so hot topic for a minute, body hair. Everyone's got it, but a lot of us want to live smoother. Am I right? 10 years ago, I started wax on laser and wax bar. Wax on isn't just any waxing and laser hair removal bar. We are the industry leader creating a safe space that inspires people to live confidently in their own skin. Over the years, we've developed trust. Trust that you know you're getting the best quality and comfortable experience every single time. Whatever you come to Wax On for, it's going to be awesome. We've created our own exclusive gold wax formula that's like no other. It's as pain-free and long-lasting as it gets, perfect for all your waxing needs. At Wax On, we've invested in top-the-line laser technology that's effective on virtually any hair and skin tone for effective results on every body. Seriously. And we carry a carefully curated collection of products. Some we make ourselves, locally I might add, and some are from brands we've fallen in love with that adhere to our values and standards of clean, good for you, and female founded. If you haven't experienced Wax On, I invite you to enjoy 20% off your first service with code WEGOTHERE. Visit waxon.ca or download the mobile app to book in with code WEGOTHERE because there is such a thing as a better hair removal experience to help you live smoother. I've often found it interesting hearing stories from students who, you know, had the same outcome. We'll call it emergency cesarean birth. Wasn't their plan, wasn't what they wanted. One of them still feels empowered. And one of them feels traumatized. And so much of it has to do with how they were treated, how they were spoken to, how much mm-hmm. autonomy did they feel, how much validation did they have? Because it was the same outcome, right? Exactly yeah. the same outcome, yeah. but totally different takeaways. Yeah. And and this is really where it's so, it's just so incredibly important, I think. Well, and we know that, so we do, simu- so just if you think about an emergency C-section, we do simulation trainings or practices as as teams how are we going to deal with this emergency we run through that emergency and sometimes in the moment when you're having that emergency if there's things that aren't standard to how you practice that Mm -hmm. you may not do them and in an emergency there's usually tons of people running around trying to and and if it's not in your in your routine to have specific aspects of that emergency care be trauma informed, mm-hmm. then they can be missed. And so that's kind of this idea of like everything we do should be trauma informed mm-hmm. so that when it's an emergency, mm-hmm. you still have these specific parts of it so that you make sure that, mm-hmm. that you maintain that it is a, a trauma informed experience as much as you can. I mean, I feel like I could talk to you all day. We're going to wrap it up soon, but I actually would love if you if you can think of an example of a scenario where it is a somewhat emergent situation to go into a cesarean. You know, what are some examples of things that practitioners could say 
that would make it even in, even when like you have like very little time, like what is it? What I'm curious, truly just curious. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll think about uh, just things that we sometimes probably don't do that make it not trauma informed in an emergency. So let's say a classic emergency would be that the baby's heart rate is abnormal and you need to go as fast as you can and and do your C-section as fast as you can. And so you call an alarm bell in a room and there's an alarm that goes overhead and nurses run into the room, um, obstetricians run into the room, anesthetists run into the operating room. The alarm bell is going the whole way until you're into the room and until the baby's out, usually that alarm bell is still going. And in the middle of that, as you're like trying to push this hospital bed through doors and down hallways and like pull an IV pole and get everything assembled in the operating room, nobody is talking to the patient. Mm-hmm. Like, or you're saying like, someone says we're going to the operating room, but then that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. And then the partner is sort of following behind and then they're told to wait outside while you get the patient in the room because you have a whole bunch of things happening and you just need that. And nobody is really not that they're trying to be mean. They're focused focusing on how fast, how can we get there fast? Whether like somebody is opening the surgical trays to try to get that ready. There's somebody else like calling the lab to get blood. There's anesthesia thinking like, how can we get this, this person comfortable fast enough? Do we have to put them to sleep? So everybody is working on important things that need to be get done, get getting done. And nobody's talking to the patient. And So that involves us practicing our, when we do our simulations that as we're pushing, like the nurse is saying, you know, the alarm bells are going because we want people to come quickly where, you know, we're running down the hall, another nurse is with your partner. The doctor is saying, here's what we're going to be doing. Once we get in the room, there's going to be like people around. We're going to help you to get onto the operating room table. And some of us do that. And some of us do that really well. Sometimes it depends on the the emergency, whether we do it well or not. Um, And then we do regularly debrief after we have emergencies. And so we need to have that as part of our emergency debriefs. You know, did we you know, with some, and most of the time, one of the things, like most of the time there is somebody who will go out and update the partner, try to bring them in as soon as possible. Um, and so again, I think it's like doing those walkthroughs where you say at which point of this emergency are we not communicating enough because it's an emergency. When we bring this person in the operating room, do we just like throw off their sheets, not tell them what we're doing. We clean off their belly really fast, which is what we do. And there's like 20 people in the room, alarm bells going, and they're naked lying on a table like this, terrified. So just like as we do our simulations, how do we, what are the different points where we need to be talking and explaining along the way? There's a lot of work when you're doing trainings for emergencies about how to have people leave the room as soon as they're not needed. Like everyone comes at once, but then you get rid of people. Like once you no longer need people, they leave. How do you decrease the volume so that like everybody's not yelling at once, which is actually also important to manage the emergency well. (laughs) Sure. Again, it's kind of like, how do we then, how do we think through um, purposely, how can we manage an emergency? And at what points can we put in these practical points of trauma-informed care? I don't know, I kind of talked for a long time about that, but it's... You're painting a picture. It's good. You're painting a picture for people to really kind of think about like all of those points. You're right. I mean, I'd be curious to know if if there was like a survey with patients to share like what point of their emergency cesarean was most traumatic for them. Yeah, that's actually a good, so we are, (laughs) 
again, there's so many things we can do. Um, but so there's some evidence about, you know, rates of birth trauma and people talking about traumatic experiences. But I think getting into some of the details like that, um, and then what I'd like us to start doing when we're thinking about these, about simulation training is taking a specific case. And like you said, walking, you know, going through every single part of that procedure and saying which parts of this mm-hmm. could be made more trauma informed and how would we practically do that. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like the buy-in, right? So you mentioned yeah. so many things around the fact that it's not just a soft skill. It makes the patient, the, the formerly, we'll call it di- difficult patient, easier to work with, like in terms of selling it sort of more widely. Yeah. Um, but yeah. what also are like some of the costs of birth trauma, long-term costs of birth trauma? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think we know. Like, I don't think we have like... I don't know, statistics in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, this many, I mean, we do know, a, we, it depends again on the studies and how they're done and who does them. But um, I had been sort of reading also a little bit in, in preparation for today that some studies have said four to 18% risk of PTSD mm-hmm. from birth, depending on variable like different variables that maybe Mm -hmm. make people more or less likely to have PTSD and so I think it probably I don't I don't know how we quantify those impacts Mm -hmm. I think if you think about practical examples if someone has had a traumatic birth experience or a traumatic experience with healthcare, they're less likely to return And then if they're less likely to, for example, get pap smears, then they're more likely to get cervical cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if people have experienced traumatic birth, then that could also affect things like sexuality and relationships. Um, It can affect a future birth, as we know, if you're experiencing a future birth. I don't know if we know, I don't know, bigger long-term details. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know we know in general that trauma, um, and this was probably one of the kind of aha moments for me about it, was learning about the rates of childhood trauma and how they impact so many long-term health conditions, mm-hmm. not only mental health, but things like, um, it's really interesting, but heart disease and stroke and cancer and all of those And so I don't know how birth trauma fits into that scheme, like whether it's the same Mm -hmm. longer term risks for healthy outcomes. It's plausible. But I think think most of us would agree that, you know, just regardless, we should be not, should be as humans who care about each other, we should, we don't want people to be traumatized and we want to help people we want to help each other through something that's traumatic Mm -hmm. and like in and of itself, most of us would agree with that. (laughs) So for any OBs listening to this, I'm Mm -hmm. sure there may be a few, if they want to bring this type of work to their place of practice, Mm -hmm. would they reach out to you? What would you recommend? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm happy for them, for anyone to reach out to me anytime. Um, they may have champions in their own centers working on this already, depending on where they're located. Um, there are, and there's, and I would also say you can sort of start almost like Google searching in your area. And there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people in social work who've been teaching and reading about trauma informed care and teaching it. Um, there, so I think you can you can look locally and find experts. I'm always happy to talk, to talk to people and talk about this, but um, there's certainly mm-hmm. lots of resources that are cool. I'm excited for your TED talk. When's that happening? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully soon. Let's get you on TED. <laughs> that hasn't been on my radar yet, but but that it, would be- it'll happen. It'll happen. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been probably one of my favorite episodes ever. Um, and again, this was your very first podcast interview. So I feel very honored that it's here Thank with you. us today. Thank yeah, truly. Yeah. And, uh, 
I think, I hope that I can leave people feeling hopeful. I think you touched a little bit on sometimes, like, we, I think a lot of us, I don't know, I feel very hopeful that we want to make experiences better for people and that there are a lot of people, a lot of providers in obstetrics and gynecology and nursing and social work and midwifery who really care about what they do and want to do things well and do things better. And, and a lot of it is, I think, being curious and vulnerable and open to making changes and seeing how they work. And you leading the way is very powerful. So again, thank you. And, and yeah, anyone listening to this too, I think often there is this idea that like, you've got to go into the hospital, like ready to fight and ready to, you know, there can be a distrust of yeah. medical practitioners and uh, specifically obstetricians. And mm. I really hope that this interview, and I'm sure that it will, will help provide more confidence and build that ability and remind people too, even the stuff about the birth plan, like that idea of trying to make it less of a list of demands, but allowing it to be something that facilitates a, a conversation that goes deeper. You know, yeah. that's, that's so important and, and can shed some light because we're just humans dealing with humans. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're amazing. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, as you, as you know, I uh, have followed your, your, uh, Instagram and podcast as well. So, and I think it's, you're doing really wonderful work. Um, for people. Thank you again. Well, hopefully maybe we'll have a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. You got it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.